It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by one of our very favorite people to talk to about one of the most important issues in this country. Claire Babineau-Fontenot is the CEO of Feeding America. Claire, thank you so much for joining us again. Good morning. We are always interested in trying to get a, a, a sense of where we are in this pandemic um, in terms of mm-hmm. food insecurity. So since we last chatted, how how are things going? I mean, are they are the lines just as long or has have they lightened up even a little bit? Yeah. So um, the, I think we're we're a little better than we were. And I think we need to stop and reflect on on that. But it's hard okay. to stay there. It's hard to stay there very long when that still means that almost 40 million people are food insecure. But we have made some progress. And um, I, in fact, I'd love to talk about some of that progress if, if you'll indulge it. Absolutely. Please. Yes, please. Excellent. So, okay. So um, one of the things that we learned during the pandemic is that the government matters when it comes to food insecurity. Some of us knew that already, but the pandemic made it just so crystal clear. Although about 60 million people turned to the charitable food system for help during the pen, during 2020, the good news is that we have all kinds of data now that shows that all of that government intervention really helped because the food insecurity rates are at about 38 million versus that 60 million or, be, or more that it, it could have been. So there's there's little doubt, but that tens of millions of people are not food insecure right now while, I, while I'm talking to you because of all of the hard work that went into 2020. So that's, that's the good news. Um, there's also another piece of news, which is that many people are not aware that the plurality of people who rely upon the federal nutrition program, plurality, plurality, the plurality, there goes that word, of people, um, <laughs> who rely upon the charitable food system are white. Right. And we have data from the USDA where we can look at what happened in 2020 as it relates to all ethnic groups. And we saw that whites represented 46% of those um, who were food insecure in 2019. And in 2020, they represent 40%. Oh, wow. Um, so that's so, uh-huh. um, but you know where this is going, don't you, ladies? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so that means that communities of color are even more inordinately burdened by food insecurity in 2020 and beyond than they were before. Um, yeah. So this is bucking a historical trend like it has been for for the entirety of my political career, as we've talked about government assistance and tried to tell the accurate story of government assistance and dispel these like stigmatizing and racist things that we say about government assistance. It has been the, the case through this moment 
that white people take the majority of, of food stamps, they take the majority of government assistance. Like that is that is the the standard recipient of these things. And now that has changed just during pandemic. Mm. And you know, I, I'd say that. Um, maybe I'd say they take the plurality. They continue to take the mm-hmm. plurality. And there is this misconception that everyone who receives assistance um, falls into some category, BIPOC category, if you will. Um, that's not ever been true. And it's not true today. So there's still, you know, a lot of people who are white who are, who are uh, receiving benefits. But as you're, you're pointing out, it's become more and more and more true that if you are a person of color in this country, that there's certain things that you're far more likely to have to deal with. And one of them is food insecurity. So right beneath the surface of that progress for whites and in those food security, uh, food insecurity statistics would be um, the steps back for communities of color. Um, good news. Yeah, it's so hard to call any of this good news. You're talking about <laughs> yeah. people who are food insecure. So um, we have a flat number when it comes to Native Americans, a regrettable three times more likely to be food insecurity, Native Americans. That was true in 2019, and it's also true in 2020. But African Americans who were at about 2.5 times more likely to be food insecure are now 3.2 times more likely to be food insecure. And Latinos who were at close to two times more likely are now at 2.5 times more likely. So I've been saying this for a while and you have been saying it even longer than I have on these airwaves. Uh, If we don't address equity, we're not gonna address food insecurity. They're so closely connected um, that to do one without the other is to really make no progress. Yeah. Well, it's it's so important just to focus on um, the divisions and the inequities when it comes to race, because um, it affects everything. Right. I mean, I think yes. that's why there is a pushback to to even to go here, because once you do, you're like, whoa, <laughs> there's got, there's a lot of work to be done in this area. And the people benefiting from the, the way it, it the way the system is now. They don't want it to change. So that's why we have to talk about it. Can you speak to um, the stigmatization of aiding people who who need resources through the federal government? Like the reason why conservatives generally push back against more money going into these programs um, is because there's a perception that the people getting the assistance are are mostly people of color and mostly black people. Um, And I feel like the stigmatization of this entire area, right? All of these programs that um, are the social safety net, if you will, um, it comes from the bias that it it will be used by black people, essentially. I mean, the public good is, is stigmatized. You're, you're right about that. And we have our own data. I think both of you know, and maybe your listeners do as well, that Feeding America has research scientists on staff who work really hard to understand whom it is that's struggling with food insecurity, why, and what helps. And um, you're absolutely correct that public perception around food insecurity and whom it is that relies upon the federal safety net is wrong. 
Uh, there's a lot of mythology there. And I wish, honestly, that we only had one segment of the population that we needed to contend with in terms of that mythology, but that's not mm-hmm. true. Right. We have, we have polling data that shows that whether you self-identify as conservative or Republican or Democrat or progressive, the way you describe people receiving benefits is almost exactly the same. You mm-hmm. assume that it's a woman. You assume she has no job. You assume she has lots of kids. You assume their fathers are not in their lives. This is, a pub, this is the public mythology around whom it is that receives benefits. It's not true today. It's never been true. In fact, um, elders, people with disability, yeah. right. people with at least one job, sometimes more than one job, are the people who receive these benefits. And without those benefits, they don't have any path toward being self-sustaining. So uh, I, one of the reasons that I love to come on this show is because you don't forget that. And you keep reminding our audience that you, I'm sure you guys remember that I said that my biggest concern in this pandemic was that those long, long lines that are outside of those buildings, they're going to go on the insides of the buildings. Yep. And I hope that when they do, people will remember that they're still there and that they're, it's, it's, this is difficult work. I didn't sign up for easy and I certainly didn't get easy. And there, there are no, a lot of people, <laughs> there are a lot of people working on this. Um, but, and I think there's some good green shoots though, about how to make progress. And it starts with acknowledging race is definitely a factor. And then, but if you stop there, then that's not real progress, right? So when you get, when you, what do you do after that acknowledgement? And, you know, I just returned to Chicago uh, last night and I was in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I had a wonderful- I lived there for many years. Oh, really? I did. Wow. What a great, a rich, remarkable city that has become- You went there in the summer. I went there in the yeah. summer. I have been there in the winter. And in fact, there's some people there, Jess, who recommended that I come back for all the fun when the lakes freeze over. Um, <laughs> Those people are sadists. You don't need to listen to them. <laughs> I feel like you actually care now that you've said that because the other yeah. people I thought were my friends and yet they recommended. <laughs> yeah, no, they're lying to you. Thank you. For that. Thank you. That is that is strong validation for that. But what's what's really wonderful about what I saw? Um, so the there's a food bank uh, in the Twin Cities. It's the second harvest of the Heartland, right? Uh, and the leader at that food bank, the CEO, her name is Allison O'Toole. Allison O'Toole's parents owned a pharmacy right around the corner in the same neighborhood where Mr. Floyd was killed. Mm-hmm. Allison now finds herself in a position of power. She's a white woman in a position of power. She has resources at her disposal. She's one of, if not the largest nonprofit in that area and in the state. So what's she doing with it? She announced yesterday that they are committing $13 million from one food bank they're committing $13 million to go directly into BIPOC communities. They're working with partners in the communities who have credibility because they live there. They've worked there. 
They are the community. She's going into those communities. And I actually had an opportunity to go and visit some of the, the locations where they're doing powerful, powerful things. And one the thing that I love the most about what I saw every place that I went, I saw black and brown people in black and brown communities elevating black and brown issues. And that's the way to do it. And they're on to something. And I was so excited they invited me to go. I was also happy that it was not winter. And, um, but I'm really, this is the path forward. I believe it in my bones. And it's the way that the national office is looking at it too. We, we committed, um, you may remember that we were the recipients of remarkable generosity from Mackenzie Scott. Mackenzie, mm-hmm. um, her, her work normally does not include a national office. She normally gives at the local level and she gives carte blanche. She trusts local leaders to know their communities. She trusts them to know how to use their resources. She provides them with resources and it becomes their resources. Um, so she, I was shocked that she provided remarkable, generous, remarkably generous gifts to many of our members and then decided that she would, would invest in the national work. And it, I was stunned by it, honestly, uh, because I just knew that wouldn't happen at $20 million. So as we contemplated at the national level, how do we honor this gift? What do we do with this gift? We decided that we would use it to seed the first ever um, in our work, um, Food Security Equity Impact Fund. And they're only in $20 million is where we started and we're not stopping at $20 million. By the way, if any of your listeners wanna be a part of that, feedingamerica.org, you too can be a part of this work. Um, Absolutely. But what we're doing with it, there are only two rules when it comes to these resources. The first one is every penny of these resources must be used to, um, to reduce racial disparities. The second is the people who make the decisions about how the resources are used must be black and brown in black and brown communities. That's that it. is so important. That is so important. Like talk to the people who are already doing the work. Talk to the people who are already identifying the problems, who are already like they are already the leaders of these communities. I feel like that's that's one of the things that philanthropy regularly gets wrong is that it takes this very top down approach that says, okay, here's your gift. Your gift is that we are going to come into your community and we are going to provide X. And the truth is when you have an underserved community, you already have infrastructure in that community that exists to Mm -hmm. help people because that is what people in those communities do. They're not just sitting there waiting for somebody to build a building and start feeding them. They're already doing that work. They're already trying to provide for their neighbors. So ask them what they need and then help them do it. Absolutely. I saw in Rochester, I saw a community kitchen at that, that's what it's called, but I've actually been to more than one place that was called a community kitchen, but it really wasn't a community kitchen. This one is a community kitchen as one example, Jess, to your point, mm-hmm. where they're saying, they're going into the community and saying, okay, so um, what is your dream in terms of, of what you'd like to do? Well, what I've been doing for 10 years is I've been feeding this neighborhood, someone might say. Um, and But I don't have a commercial kitchen where I can really take this to the next level. Well, here's your kitchen, free of charge. Come and use this kitchen. This is now your kitchen. 
it's happening across our network and it's powerful. And you, I could not agree with you more about what's happened with philanthropy. I, you know, I, I, I so want to honor the intentionality behind the generosity of philanthropy. I believe so many people who've given really had the best of intentions. Yeah, of course. But what I think we keep getting wrong is, I don't know if I've said this on this show before, but I've said it now a few times. It only came to me during the pandemic, which is this notion Mm -hmm. that I used to think this expression, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, teach a man a fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. I used to think that was a perfect expression. Because I'm thinking, oh yeah, so you see, you don't just come in, you can't just be transactional, right? But what I was getting wrong was, who says he needs you to teach him how to fish? That is really And true. who says he is a he? Yeah. Right. He right. might not be a he. He might be a she. He might be a they. You understand? It there's so much embedded in that that gives the giver the satisfaction of I am the one who fill in the blank, right? Um, mm-hmm. instead of giving the power to the people who really need um, investment more than ideas. Right. Yeah. I mean, even if he like he or she or they mm-hmm. knows how to fish, you got to leave them with the resources to be able to continue doing that. It's not about teaching someone to fish. It's about giving them the rod and the bait and the tackle you and all the it. things that you need in order yeah. to use the skills that that person probably already has. <laughs> exactly. OK, so oh, let, me, let me brag. Let me brag on one more food bank, if you don't mind. One more member. Yeah, please. I, so I'm a I'm a Chicago lander now. I love this city. Oh, my goodness. Um. <laughs> Anybody who really knows the city would love it too. So in the Greater Chicago Food Depository, which serves the city of Chicago and, and this Metroplex, many, many spaces in the Metroplex, I went to uh, a Little Village, which is a really densely populated Latino um, community here, rich with so much culture. And unfortunately, they've also had to suffer um, through a lot of gun violence. And Mm -hmm. I visited a location where there was a food distribution going on and I went into a building. The building had been a Ma and Pa um, grocery store. And during COVID, they decided that they weren't gonna be able to reopen. And the most powerful thing about that for me was it was bustling, a lot of people all around volunteering and what I loved too was so many of the young people that I saw were being paid to be there. Thank you very much. Um, oh, wow. Which I thought was fabulous. But the building itself, um, the Greater Chicago Food Depor- Depository in partnership with uh, a local organization gave a grant to purchase the building. And having a conversation with the members of the community there as they were talking about how difficult it was for them to process what was being told to them. So they said, okay, so, so technically, so we're, we're, we get to stay in the building. And then, you know, somebody from greater Chicago was saying, no, you, it's your building. And they go, so when we decide, when we're working through what to do with the building, then that's where you're going to be the, on the advisory council and you'll have the majority of it. No, 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 it's, it's your, it's your building. And it's, well, what do you mean? It's like, our building is a yes. This isn't a loan. This isn't a lease. This is a grant. This is your building. The building belongs to this community. 
I believe, we believe, this community is smart enough to figure out what the best uses of that building are and what oh, they're going to yes. do with the building on the bottom of the. So now I've gotten to see the plans on the bottom floor. It's going to be a free store, right? People who mm -hmm. need things come in, they'll have access to fresh fruit and produce and protein. The, feet, food, uh, the Greater Chicago Food Depository will continue to help supply that food and it'll be on the bottom level. On the middle level, they're going to create a resource center where people get connected to the benefits that they already are entitled to. And so many, millions of people are entitled to benefits they don't even realize or there's so much bureaucratic red tape that they don't get access to it. There's a floor that's designed to connect people to the benefits that they're already entitled to. There's another floor that I think is for fun, but my fun would be on bottom, <laughs> on the bottom and the middle floor. So I'm all happy about that. So I want you to know that I'm overall optimistic. There's a lot of work to be done, but I work with people who are getting it done. I, and I'm so excited about this change. I don't believe I'm not Pollyanna. I do not believe all is right with the world. Um, in fact, I know uh, all is not right with the world, but I do believe we're on to something. Um, and I'm excited that I get to be a part of moving forward with it. I'm so excited to hear about this shift. Like this has been one of the things that we talk about, uh, the, the, the need to, to give people the resources that they know how to use best in the communities that they're already serving. Yes. Like that is what has to happen. It really, it has to be a community led effort, not just because that makes everybody feel good, but because they know what people need and the exactly. outsiders don't. Right. Exactly. Oh, this, this is so like, you are so singing my hymn, my very particular charitable hymn. Uh, how important is it to you that the packages that are being discussed in Washington right now, specifically the, the care packages that would allow people to care for aging relatives or children, you know, little things like that. Um, how important is it to you and your work that that kind of thing passes in Washington? Very important. Um, you see, I think another part of, of the challenge that we've had is we've, we've tried to treat symptoms, right? Um, rather than get down into the core issues, the root of these challenges. I saw a study when I joined Feeding America, by the way, it's almost my anniversary. October of oh. 2018 will mark. Congratulations. Get to three years on October the 1st. And oh, you had a super easy tenure there. I did. Yeah, you know, <laughs> look at that. In. Nothing was really happening. I didn't have to go to Minnesota for the weather because in my first winter in Chicago, there was this thing called a polar vortex. Thank you very much. Minus 66 degrees. Did not even know that was a thing. Um, but, and then there was some, you know, a global health pandemic with a food crisis, but I have never been more grateful to get to do work than the work I get to do. As I said, I, I knew I wasn't signing up for easy. I didn't understand exactly how complicated it was going to be, but, mm -hmm. but I, I can't imagine being anywhere else doing anything else. So, but the point is, it's kind of, that's actually kind of part of the point, which is I saw this study by, done by a group of Mathematica. And they've done this analysis about of how to make investments. And the whole point of it was, what can you do that actually increases income inside of households, right? And they've done all of these things. Um, 
and they've done some things in silos, right, to test it, to understand what really works. <laughs> and they looked at um, <clears throat> when you do job training programs, right, and when you do childcare, and when you do mm -hmm. housing, when you do when you provide people with enough food, you know, federal nutrition programs and charitable food system access. And they found any of those things in isolation aren't sustainable. Hmm. It's when you do those things together that it's right. sustainable. And that's what these packages are about. It's doing these things together. Right. It's a secure foundation that you get to launch from. So some of the earlier Zelina was talking about public perception, but some of the public, some of the perception inside of that study was um, when a woman doesn't show up for work after she's given this job, oh, she's so ungrateful. Instead of understanding she had no childcare. So should she right. leave her kid? They're, they're staying at home alone then, you know, or this man who gets, um, who, who is, has been justice involved and a returning citizen and he doesn't show up for a, a, a great new initiative that's designed to help him to find a job. Oh, he doesn't want any better for himself. Well, what if he doesn't have any transportation right. to get to the job? So if you're not solving for each of those things, um, you're not gonna be really addressing it. So if we decide that we wanna do the easy, then get out of this. But if we want to be serious about traction and advancement that's sustainable, we're going to have to look at it holistically. And the whole country benefits from it. One of the fictions when we talk about SNAP, SNAP has such a stimulative impact on the economy, by the way. There's just right. no good reason not to want SNAP. SNAP is good for every, every, everybody, right? Including local and large retailers, right? It stimulates right. now there have been some restrictions that have been lifted so that you actually get bonuses. If you use your SNAP, it goes long, it goes farther. If you buy certain nutrition, nutrition, if you use it to purchase nutritionally dense um, foods, farmers markets, you can use your SNAP at farmers markets. So it's one of those kinds of things. And it's just one example. And it's one clearly I'm rather passionate about. This is one of those examples of how some of these programs, they end up getting caricatured. There's mythology that's wrapped around them um, by people who don't understand it's in their own interest to be in favor right. of it. Not just in the interest, it's not, it's not quote charity that should cause them to be in favor of it, but it's, it's um, humanity should, we should start there with humanity, but mm -hmm. beyond, beyond this notion of overall humanity, Mm -hmm. Our own pecuniary interests are advanced when we do so many of these things. It helps us all. So, yeah. yes, I am in favor. Yes, ma'am, I am. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I think it's so. important that people understand how these systems need to work in tandem with each other. Absolutely. That, like, you, you cannot set Feeding America up as the sole entity responsible for solving food insecurity. You, you simply cannot do that. But we also very much need the work that Feeding America does, especially as we are woefully inept at providing for the people in this country via other means for all the reasons that, that you just discussed. So, yeah. you know, thank you for, for continuing to do this incredible work and, and continuing to talk to us about it. We, we appreciate you today and every day.
Thank you. Well, I appreciate having me back. Whenever you have me back, I'll come back. Thank you. You know we will. We always love having you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Zerlina Maxwell, at Jess underscore MC, and at Signal Boost Show. Thank you.